This is a podcast by the RASC Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Chris Bates and I'm joined by Amy Leonardi. Um, we're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted podcast. Um, we're about 12 months into that journey now and um, you know over 20,000 plus people are tuning in in different forms on different players. So thank you so much for joining us and um, thank you for joining me today, Amy. Um, you're super excited to do another episode with you. I am super excited and I think before we launch into it, it's worth having a chat about you know, what's happening in the property market at the moment mm. because, you know, last year things were just tickling by a little bit. We were still talking about, you know, what's happening with inflation and potentially more rate rises coming, et cetera. And I found, and I don't know if you were the same, Chris, that we got to November, December last year and everything got super quiet. We had that surprise rate rise. We had Christmas coming up. We had a bit of fatigue in the market and Everyone was kind of twiddling their thumbs and sitting on their hands. And this year has opened with a bang. Even from the first weekend of inspections, all of the consistent feedback from the agents and all of my buyers were that there was heaps of people at inspections. There was things that they couldn't sell last year. All of a sudden, they had offers and they were selling Mm. them. And not sure about you, Chris, but my inquiry levels have been the strongest they have been in since I can remember. So something's really changed. Something's shifted. Yeah, it's interesting. Usually we have a chat about the market offline before we do an episode, <laughs> but um, today we talked about our lunch and hot cross buns for five minutes. But um, <laughs> ultimately we've seen a very similar story. I think it's – I like when you wound it back actually. I think um, a lot of people talk about what's happening right now, but I think there's a. It's always a, what happened before that and what was the end. Coming into that October, November, I absolutely agree with you. There was a little bit of trepidation. There was that extra rate rise. Um, you look at big houses like CoreLogic was sort of saying, hey, market's going to be slow next year. You know, the growth and on an annual rates actually slowing and it's really, you know, running out of steam. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I really buy that. I mean, I could see that there was still a huge pent-up demand in our buyers. There's still a lot of people who want to buy and um, who want to enter the market who haven't entered. Um, and, you know, the years in the past have taught me that this time of year really um, can go two ways. It, you know, it's a long time from that November uh, when listings really dry up to December. Everyone takes a deep breath. I think everyone was exhausted last year. I don't know. I just maybe they didn't go on enough holidays or maybe that returned <laughs> to the – it was just – I don't know. I felt like everyone was really tired more than normal. Um, and then by the time January came around, absolutely our inquiry started to increase again and the news cycle flipped. It went from, oh, a little bit, hey, more rate rises are coming to actually inflation's getting under control and then the papers started talking about rate cuts. Um, 
And Pete and I spoke about this, you know, pre-Christmas that, you know, this could catch people off guard. And um, what so what you're seeing now is, you know, auction clearance rates for the last couple of weeks have been up, right, um, and surprising people. And so that's what you're probably seeing as well. Open homes are busier. Oh, and when you said around buyers, I don't want to make this episode about too much around now, but um, I think the buyers in the market right now, the particularly the ones that are willing to make offers, are usually the buyers who have been burnt over the last couple of booms. And that's why I think, Amy, your inquiry is probably going up, A, because you're great at what you do and, you know, <laughs> you're always going to get inquiry with a growing business. But I also think buyers agents get a bit more inquiry once people are really more and they're really ready to go like they and this is what our episode today is probably more about is you know how to buy property faster amy sent me through the title and i, I think it's a it's a really powerful episode and um, we hopefully make it full of great content for you yeah so to segue that kind of market recap into what we will be talking about it's certainly not a case of us saying oh my gosh the market shifted if you're thinking about buying you better rush into it absolutely not so really the point of this episode is to run through the different phases of buying because you can't just all of a sudden one day wake up and say, I'm ready to buy a house and you go shopping tomorrow. I mean, maybe some people can, but it's not quite that simple. So we'll break down the different phases of buying and talk about how long it normally takes, how long it should take, why you'd want to do it faster. And at the end of the day, I think we need to start off this episode by saying, despite the title, <laughs> there is no rush to buy a property. Mm. There's never there's never a rush. I know that there's always this saying of, you know, you just got to get your foot into the door and get into the market, but it's not always going to be the right thing to do at certain periods of time for everybody. And I know that you might have this generational pressure or societal pressure to just buy a house. Um, but it's it's not a case of, you know, it's necessarily the right move for you. And again, no rush to do it. But there are plenty of reasons why you might want to do it faster, which we will have a chat about. So, Chris. I think it's a really good point. You put that context in there because yes. you see the thing, oh, clickbait. Yeah. What would a mortgage <laughs> broker and a buyer's yeah. agent want us to do is obviously buy faster. Like, <laughs> if anyone has uh, followed our content, uh, not just on here, but other content that we've produced um, or have gone through our client experiences, you would see that that's not what we believe in. Um, ultimately, we want to make sure that it makes real sense for you and actually helps you in the future. And not all the people who enter the property market would come back to you in three or four years' time and say, um, this has been an amazing decision. A lot of people would regret that decision. A lot of people lose money. Um, if you want to know about, about that, download the core and, uh, pain and gain report from CoreLogic the stats are all there. These are actual sales. And you can see the amount of people that lose money in property um, is a lot of people. Um, and so what we want to do is make sure that you enter it the right way. Um, today's episode is really about how could you speed up that process rather than, um, you know, because time is money if you're buying good assets. You know, if you could have potentially got into the market in 12 months and got a good asset versus, you know, two and a half years where you still got there, but you would have entered the market 18 months earlier. That opportunity cost can be quite big um, and then potentially you could make some changes today that could speed up that process. So that's what we want to chat about today. Mm, absolutely. So breaking down the four different phases, I, I'm going to break it into four. I think that's um, appropriate here, uh, which is first of all, saving, saving up. So getting some money <laughs> together um, because in most situations you'll need some kind of deposit or, you know, maybe some other kind of 
way to get into the market like a guarantor or security elsewhere. But that is generally, in my view, the longest phase. Mm. And then we've got the getting a mortgage phase, the research phase, and the active buying phase. So, Chris, naturally, you're going to have a chat about the first two phases and then I'll deep dive a little bit more into the other two. And I know that there wouldn't necessarily be any statistics out there around timeframes for this because no one's doing a poll or (laughs) tracking when everyone is starting to say, hey, okay, I'm saving for a, a property now and how long does it actually take from start to finish? But, you know, we'll give you some benchmarks around what what we see. Uh, so, Chris, I guess with that savings mm. phase, how how long should people like budget for? Like, is this something that could be expedited? Is there like averages that you see? I think I would sort of broaden the saving phase a little bit and say it's just about getting financially ready and getting your mindset right. I think it's a time where um, absolutely it may take years, you know, to save that deposit. But sometimes it, people's misunderstanding of the deposit um, is completely wrong. You think they need a 20% deposit and maybe they think they don't need stamp duty, they can enter the market with a 5% deposit. And So it's really that education, financially getting yourself ready, making sure you clean up your credit file, making sure that you've, you know, you get into some strong, steady employment, you know, that you, um, you know, where you've got it and, and you actually get good at, building those financial habits and, um, like you say, saving. I think this is this phase, um, you can absolutely speed it up. I, I've seen lots of clients over the years that, you know, living the good life, everything they earn, they spend, and then all of a sudden the light switch changes and then six months later they go, bang, we've saved $40,000 or 12 months later and they've got because they've just prioritised up their value chain, they've, they've made the cutbacks, they've looked at all the little savings like, you know, getting better car insurance or letting go of subscriptions they're not using. And they've just kind of gone all in on um, improving their situation financially. And so, um, yeah, it's, 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 and I think that's when sometimes people do go to parents is uh, parents, I, as a parent, you know, uh, in fast order in the future, if my kids are out living the good life and say, hey, daddy, can you buy me a property? I'll be like, well, you're not really doing any great <laughs> financial habits. Um, can you just go and save a certain amount first and show me that you're willing to compromise and actually work for this? Um, and I think that's when we've seen people go and their deposit really quickly increases because their the parents see how much they've invested in, in doing this and then they say, well, I can bridge that gap for you. Um, not everyone can do this, but, you know, that's where I've seen that deposit really um, increase fast when uh, people have focused on it. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you know, there's only so much that, you might be able to do, whether that's temporarily or, you know, for a little while increasing your income, which whereas that's getting a whole new job or working more hours or getting a second or a third job. And I have seen people do that for a short period of time to turbocharge their savings, but it's not necessarily sustainable, especially if you're working, you know, double, double time. Um, reducing your spending, which is sometimes easier than being said. And then from there, it's time. So you could do everything that you could possibly do to earn more and spend less, but then you'll still potentially have a savings goal that you need to work towards and it will take a certain amount of time until you get there. But the key way to figure out what this goal is, because, you know, what's that saying? Without a goal, you can't score. Is that a sports saying? That sounds pretty good. I like it. Yeah. (laughs) Without a goal, you can't score. So, but to get that goal in place... 
you need to figure out what your options are. So mm. it's never too early to speak to a mortgage broker to be able to say, this is a goal of mine. How much should I be saving? Because they will look at your income. They will look at your, you know, the other ways that you could potentially build that deposit up schemes and grants. You might be eligible, all of these things and say, okay, here's where we're not, we want to be. And here's how you need to get there. They're not going to sit down and put your budget together or anything, but they'll be able to put that tangible goal in place for you. Yeah, absolutely. And things are always changing. I mean, July last year in New South Wales, you had no stamp duty up to 1.5 million. That was a game changer for a lot of people that, um, you know, before it was up to 800, then it was 1.5 million. And they go, well, actually, that's something we really want to buy. I've already got 50,000. If I can just get an extra 50,000, I can buy something at a million dollars. And so, that all of a sudden wants that change. So you just got to stay on top of the 5% deposit home loans changed. And so not only speaking to them, but then also coming back, you know, checking in six months later, you know, is there anything else? And, and trying to keep track of the news and anything that you hear about first home buyers and government uh, incentives. I would caveat that though. Typically in the past, that's all been a bit of a, uh, a you know, a cookie up the wrong trail, I guess. It's leading people up to buying new property. Um, and so it looks like an incentive, but what you end up doing is buying poor assets. So it's been first-time buyer grants to buy new property, um, stamp duty exemptions if you want to buy new property, not established property. And um, you just got to be careful. Sometimes you're trying to get on the market, so you go for the incentive, but you end up getting the wrong asset in the market. So I'm just going to caveat that there. But ultimately, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, even if it's just building the habits, I do think there's a, there's a line of, you know, prioritising home ownership too much um, where people let go, miss maybe all the fun of the 20s and don't do things that would have been great experience for them to all of a sudden get a property. Um, so I do think you've got to always balance having a life today, you know, with saving for tomorrow. How long did it take you to save up for your first property? Can you remember? Oh, it was interesting. So I, I was probably one of those clients, um, even though I was working in advice that was traveling, um, swapping companies, you know, educating myself. Um, and so I spent a lot of my early 20s and mid 20s doing that, to be honest. Um, and I started and I saved to start the business. Um, mm. So that was uh, when I was only 27, I think. Uh, yeah, 27, I started the business. And so a lot of my savings originally went into that. We bought a property about after that. Um, but uh, and then it was the next property was a big saving, and then the next property was unfortunately um, the business was doing really well, and there was equity in other properties, and so it is that sort of first one that you know is the hardest one. Um, but I also think that you know you don't have to if you're not in today. There's other ways to use your money. You know, I was doing lots of other investing. I've been buying shares and margin loans and all sorts of other stuff in the um, uh, before I got into property. So you don't have to just wait, see the money in the bank account before you do any type of investing. There's a big world out there to to consider priority buying property yeah no such thing as normal i've seen people who have taken 10 years to, to save enough to i guess not only have enough money to be comfortable to take the leap and get their head around then spending that money because that can be a really big emotional decision too you've got all of this money sitting there in your bank account and you don't want to do the wrong thing mm. so whilst you're doing that time spend uh, saving and you know putting some consideration into okay well, what do I want to achieve out of this that's the time where you can start trying to then figure out your goals and priorities because then as soon as you get into the next phases which we're going to talk about now you're going to have to make some decisions about how you're then going to spend that money where and what are you going to buy so once we've saved 
our money. And this is in consultation with our broker, ideally that whole time. And we've said, okay, we're, we're close to that goal. How do we then go and get a mortgage? How long does all of that take? Just say, you know, I want to buy a property soonish. Should I be getting a pre-approval now if I wanted to buy in six months? How does that all work, Chris? Well, how long it takes to get the loan pre-approval is, you know, at the moment it's really fast. I mean, in COVID times it really blew out to weeks potentially, but it shouldn't take long. The reality is banks are getting more and more digitally savvy. They're getting better at their processes and resourcing their team. So once you've got all your documents and you've got your payslips and you're ready to lodge a pre-approval, it doesn't take very long. Um, But sometimes it's just about getting yourself financially ready. So, you know, sometimes when you start a business, maybe you've got to wait for different tax returns. Um, Maybe you've got a bonus or you're on a contractor um, or you're getting, you know, commissions of some sort. And so sometimes you've got to wait for, you know, those things to reflect in the bank size. Um, So... Uh, but the whole getting pre-approval can happen really fast um, and it just depends on the bank that you have to lodge with. Um, but ultimately, I think you, you want to be talking to that broker, like you said, along that journey and then the broker would say, okay, well, you're actively looking in the next three months. If you're actively in the market, you should have pre-approval. Um, the amount of clients that have come to me and over the years uh, on a weekly basis, and that's not a, uh, a joke, um, <laughs> where they have fell, fallen in love with the property um, and they want to buy and they haven't got pre-approval or they had pre-approval but it expired. So mm. they're in actively in the market, they're looking, but they're not, you know, ready to go right now um, because the thing that we talk about next is that speed matters a lot um, in the property market. Yeah, and sometimes you might come across situations where you think you're ready to go but you're not. Maybe you've just recently changed jobs and that lender wants to see a couple of pay slips or maybe you need you run your own business and you need to have a certain amount of you know time within that business and years of financials all these kind of little bits and pieces which could put you back a little bit longer um, but if you have been actively working with a mortgage broker and you know you're close to getting started maybe just have a chat to them a little bit sooner than you think when you're really really ready but yes the active as long as you've got all your paperwork in order and you can get it all back to your broker to get the actual pre-approval is pretty quick. That's that that's the shortest phase in all of these four phases, right? Absolutely. And you know, I sort of do, you know, say this with a bit of um, you know, holding back. You know, I do think in that saving phase is a good time to really educate yourself on the property market and what you're looking to buy and go to open homes and you know, and just start to, you know, really could sit down and talk through your life plan. Um and you know, the compromises you're willing to make as a single or a couple or as a family and what matters more to you and, you know, these type of conversations because these can be big conversations, particularly when you're trying to catch your partner to have a big life chat um, and uh, they can take many months for you to, to think about it. So as you're building your savings and as you're getting ready to get pre-approved, um, you know, it's not the end of the world, you know, to do, to get some of that property experience even if you're not in the market. Um, and so when you are ready with the finance, you're more active. You know, you're more willing to, and you've got those sort of reference points to be able to, you know, understand things much faster. I do, you know, you know, you just got to be careful. Sometimes people then go, oh, well, maybe I could make it happen. It's such a great opportunity to to buy, and I don't want to let it go. And maybe I could make. So people go sometimes for the first property, they look for an opportunity rather than what the right property is for them, um, and what's a great investment because um, they think it sounds like a bargain or. And they just try to buy a property so they can enter the market. And I think that's where that danger comes. Sometimes when people are watching the market and looking, 
opportunities present themselves and they snap up and they go in the wrong direction. Yeah. So even though we've we're now doing this research phase as the third phase that we're talking about, it actually really comes before the pre-approval phase. It definitely, in my opinion, should come before that because it can take a really, really, really long time, for, especially for some people to do this research. And when I'm talking about research, I'm not talking about sitting down and creating spreadsheets and trawling through core logic and that kind of thing because I, you know, I love property and even to me that sounds not super exciting. But the research phase is really a combination of, first of all, figuring out what you want to achieve out of all of this. What's your overarching strategy? Is this a home? Is this an investment? How long are you going to live there for? What priorities do you have in your life? based on the timeframes that you want to live there, all of those things. So that's like personal strategy. That forms part of the research phase. It's super, super important. The research phase is also around then educating yourself on what you can buy and where you can buy for your budget. So you're going to have an idea around how much you can spend, make a decision on whether you're comfortable with spending that based on the mortgage repayments. And then you'll say, okay, well, these are my options. Maybe I could buy an apartment closer to the city or buy a townhouse further out or a house further out or an investment property interstate, you're going to be then faced or presented with a lot of different options. It might be really clear straight away if you already know what you want and where you want to live, which is great. And then I guess the third phase of that research part is, well, how do you go and buy a property? How are you going to teach yourself how to do all of this? If you don't engage a buyer's advocate and you, or you don't have a really close network of friends and family that can hold your hand through all of this, how are you going to learn how to do it? Because we don't really get taught this. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already <laughs> actively seeking information anyway. But once you get that pre-approval, ideally you have as much confidence as you can to then go out there and start looking at properties and being in a position to make offers and all of those kind of things. Because sometimes a really good property does come up really quickly. And I've seen plenty of people that say, oh, it's too soon. It's too soon. I'm not ready yet. But if you had spent all of that time on your preparation and research, there is no reason why you can't buy really quickly because you've got all of that, that um, empowerment behind you and you've done all of your homework and benchmarking. And I've bought, I've bought I think the quickest time I've bought for a client is like, a day because mm -hmm. I, I just, I knew exactly what they wanted. I found the perfect property straight away and they bought it. And for me, just for context, as a buyer's agent, my average time frame to buy a client from the day that we sign up together, bearing in mind that I do all the homework with them before I sign them up. That's really important to make a point about. My average time frame to buy for someone is six to eight weeks-ish. And yes, I'm a professional, but what that suggests is you can do that too. It's not a rush. It's not a race. But if you, and what I would say is, my, I don't even know what the average time that buyers would take to buy for themselves, but it would be way longer than that. It would be way longer. Tend yeah. to agree yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're doing everything properly, like, like we do as buyers agents, there's no reason why you couldn't buy within that time frame. Again, not a rush, but why look for any longer than you need to? Because with looking for a really, really long time, especially when it becomes like eight, 12 plus months, you, I promise you'll start to get fatigued and exhausted and despondent and you'll start spending money on building inspections. And it's just, it's no fun when it gets 
to that time frame. It doesn't, it never needs to take that long unless you're looking for something that's super, super rare. And in which case your research will tell you that anyway. You just, you know, know that that's going to take a long time. You took the words out of my mouth there, Amy. I think it does, you know, uh, go down to sometimes the scarcity of what you're looking for. And scarcity can be sometimes a catch-22, right? Um, You know, sometimes people are looking for a very unique asset because it's got some features where there's only a few of those. Maybe it's a a beachfront or maybe it's like in a a smaller pocket where very people very rarely sell and they really want to be in those two streets and you've got very, you know, lots of things they're not willing to compromise on and, um, so what you're kind of looking for is a needle in the haystack there. And sometimes you can just be waiting and you just got to really understand the opportunity cost of that waiting. Is it, you know, is it okay if you buy in 12 months time, if markets move 15% or if they do move, will you still be able to afford it? And what, what would you do then? And mm. thinking through that plan B, that next, next alternative, um, I think you've got to be really stress testing your brief or what you're trying to achieve with some actual sales in the last three months. Try not to go six or 12 months. Like, you know, you kind of want to see how many properties, um, even just looking through the portals and, you know, the you know the um, land registry service in New South Wales, for example, has all the past sales and some, you know, would have been off market and things like that. And thinking through, well, how many of these realistically would we have considered based on our brief? And you know, I'll tell you my lots, benchmark. I'll yeah, tell you my on. benchmark for that because I have had to come up with a number to give people when they're mm. doing their homework. And I say on average one a month. Yeah. To say that it's achievable. And when I say one a month, that's a property that in theory, like you maybe you didn't, maybe you walked through it or maybe you saw it sold online, but it ticks all the boxes on paper and has sold within your budget on average one a month. So you'd say like six-ish over the last six months. Mm. I Eight would be even better. And that demonstrates a realistic and achievable brief. If you can only find one or two, that's a bit concerning, especially because you don't, you say you've found one recent sale, you're like, this is the only one I can see that I could have afforded, but look, it's perfect. You don't know the background behind that sale. Um, maybe it sold cheap because it had a problem with it or for whatever reason, but one is not enough to give you confidence that that's re- recreatable. In fact, it suggests it's a very high scarcity property. So either you have to have patience, but if you have patience, like you said before, Chris, you have to then have a bit of a buffer so that if the market moves up or if that property comes up and it's competitive, you can fight for it too. That's the thing, isn't it? There's lots of properties people would love to live in or probably been great investments, but sometimes they're out of budget. Um, and, you know, what, you know, and this is just the harsh reality of entering the market and um, limited budgets. And, you know, this is a problem for everyone. Um, you know, obviously more problem for people who are in the market um, than it is for people who've got a property, right? But ultimately, um, you know, people really want what they just can't afford. You know, it's just usually <laughs> above or they, you know, they don't usually go and shop in a suburb that's well within their budget. Yes, people do, but typically people don't um, just because of how unaffordable things are already. And um, so, yeah, you've really got to make sure that there's multiple that are coming up because you're right, I've seen many clients fixate on a sale and go, well, I just want to recreate that 121 Smith Street because that was everything I wanted and it mm. was in my budget and it sold two months ago. So yeah. I've got a chance. And actually, you know what, 121 Smith Street, you actually didn't see the property. It had building issues. It had you know, privacy problems that you couldn't see on the pictures. The red bedrooms were small. You didn't think about that. You know, there was issues with the DA next door. Like there's all these. And then all of a sudden the seller did a really quick sale because it was, you know, a family pressure um, or there was a really hot auction for, near down the road that everyone went to and then this one 
kind of got there's so missed, many variables you know so and many variables and those things you just don't know you just see the price and the property and um you know and sometimes uh, and vice versa though you know sometimes people would think that you know oh i can't afford anything in the market because there was one sale and it was way more than we can afford well that could have just been a super super hot auction and it just went 10 15 percent i had one on the thought. weekend that went at least 10 15 percent higher than we not only did the comparable sales suggest but we had a competitive buffer on that and it still went 15 20 over that was just two people that really 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 wanted it really pushed themselves who knows maybe their grandma lived in the next street and they had to be there mm. <laughs> but yes we need we need a broad variety and selection of data to be able to make decisions so the whole point of this research phase and I get clients to do a lot of this before we start working together because once we start working together we need to hit the ground running as buyers agents so at the end of that research phase you will have a strategy a strategy is essentially saying you know like what are my goals with this property what are my time frames like where where am i buying and why am i buying it and then also your property brief which we have covered in other episodes owen and i did a full episode about how to create your property brief which is a really really clear written down brief of budget locations and then the, the property characteristics your non-negotiables and your bonuses and then you are ready i call that like being ready to buy a property being ready is not about getting a pre-approval you need that but you also need to have done all of that homework and then be emotionally good to go so that now you can go out there and start seriously looking at properties and then if the right one comes out really quickly you're ready to buy it and if not and if one doesn't come up straight away well that that's fine too you know mm. you've done everything you can to put yourself in that position yeah i sometimes um like you said you had a client buy within a day um i sometimes when a client says they fall in love with a property and it's the first weekend they've got to look at properties which is quite common um I'm always like, oh, like <laughs> really, like, and um, you know, and sometimes, you know, they they are, are all great properties, um, and you just sort of say, hey, I think you should keep waiting, um, you know, I think you should like look at these type of properties versus these type of properties. Mm -hmm. Just send put their. I mean, even happened this week, you know, they're comparing a really high density apartment to more of a boutique block, and it's just because there's not much on the market. They've kind of gone and searched new areas and things like that where they were so close to the right direction before. Um, but um, sometimes there is an absolute cracker and it's two days mm. after getting pre-approved and I've seen them self-sabotage um, and go, oh, let's too just wait. Yeah. It's too soon. And three, six months later, they're still thinking about that property that they missed out on and that they could have put their furniture in and things like that. And so the only way to get that confidence to transact is you have a professional like a buyer's agent who really knows the market and can lay it out for you and say, you know what, this is a really good property and it really suits what you're telling me. Even though it's two days in, you really should consider it. These are the reasons why. The only way you're going to get that is with a professional that knows that market who, can, who you really trust or you've been in the market 12 months and you've seen everything else on the market and everything's been. And so I think that's a really good way to bypass that research phase is that local specialist buyer's agent. Um, you just got to be really careful. And it's really selecting the right buyer's agent for that area who's someone who is transacting in that pocket, who does have good relationship with the agents, who 
you know, isn't just going to say, oh, yeah, it looks pretty good and, and doesn't really know the quirks for the local area and things like that. And so I think that's where you get a really good buyer's agent to help you bypass a lot of that research phase um, to allow you to transact faster. And that could, if that was just, just saved you three months, that would more than pay the buyer's agency fee in a moving market, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's the thing to think to consider. Yeah, and I, my style of working with clients is I'm really just telling someone, hey, this is my opinion without helping them arrive at their own opinion themselves. Because I think that when you're making such a big decision, it's all well and good for me to say, this is an awesome property. You should go for it. You're not going to get anything better. Like some, a lot of people would just trust what I say because (laughs) they're paying me and, you know, I would hope that they trust me. But the way that I help them then come to that realization themselves too is we do a benchmarking exercise together when we take their homework that we already did before we started working with them and then we flesh that out a little bit and look at more sold properties that have sold in those areas and then we look at the comparable sales and we say, okay, well, based on all of this evidence now, where does this one sit? is this one sit towards the top in terms of ticking all of your boxes and how much you really like it compared to all those other ones, noting that you probably haven't walked through them? Does it sit somewhere in the middle? Does it sit towards the bottom? If it's towards the top, that will help then give them more confidence that this is going to be a rare one to recreate and they should go for it. If it's sitting towards the middle or the bottom and they're just not feeling sure, then then we wait. So that's just a helpful exercise that you can do yourself without a buyer's agent too to help you make these decisions because it is common that I see remorse of the one that got away, the mm. one that came up too soon, the one that that they couldn't, the partners couldn't agree on because they hadn't done the homework together and it's, you know, it's it's disappointing when that happens, um, but you can be prepared at, to to completely avoid that situation if you have done your research phase correctly. Yeah, I think the other thing is sometimes people still go for it, uh, but they don't go for it with the pricing knowledge, the the experience right. of okay, Absolutely. no, we, we want to go for it. I know it's only two days, but we're going to go for it. But then they miss on the second hurdle, which is well, what are you going to pay for it and what they do is they under because they have a little bit of a bargain. I want to get it for a fair price and I want to get it for something that looks great on paper rather than what's actually going to secure the property and and what is actually worth given its asset quality, given what else is on the market, just given how much it suits them and their lifestyle and how good of an investment is it and how scarce is it. And I think that's where that premium isn't factored in um, and someone else puts that premium on it and then you miss out. Um, I had that so, happen really recently mm-hmm. for a client but just before they signed up with me and it, it actually made them think, oh, we need a little bit of help, is that it was just one of the first ones they'd seen and they lacked the confidence around the value of the property but then mm-hmm. they were also not, they thought the agent was misleading them and the agent said they had another buyer and was putting pressure on and they're like, is this a tactic? We're not sure. And then it sold to that other person yeah. for more money. So. That then segues us into this last phase, which is when you're in this active buying phase, how can you ensure that you're putting yourself in the best position to to have an outcome? Because you can do all the homework in the world and be as mentally prepared as possible, but then you can still take ages to buy a property because you keep missing out on things because you keep going for things that maybe are a bit over your budget because 
um, you, you haven't done the homework thoroughly enough or um, you're, you're relying on quote ranges rather than you're doing your own comparable sales. So in the active buying phase, I'm going to sort of talk you through what we do and as, as a buyer's agent and these skills that you can go and then apply <laughs> to your own situation. And this is how we get an outcome generally within two months. So the first thing that we do at the very beginning, once we've got our property brief in place, is that we make sure that we're searching online all of the time, just consistently checking, 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 checking for new properties, setting up alerts, setting up um, saved and uh, new and sold alerts so we can keep just track of what's coming up and what's selling, what are things going for, um, so that we don't miss anything online. Because sometimes if you take a week or two off, mm. you can miss something that comes up or if you haven't put the right filters in or whatever it is. And please don't put any more filters in than like um, locations and bedrooms and price because once you start clicking things like car parking and um, pool and things like that, it's just not correct, by the way. Um, so having that, but then also just as importantly as all of the online stuff is, and this is something that I don't think I've seen anyone ever do ever, by the way, we do it as buyers agents, make a list of every single real estate agent that sells properties or has sold properties in those suburbs in the last 12 months and contact all of them. That's going to be a combination of email and calling and sometimes texting. Um, and yes, there's such a thing as too much communication, but that's how you get on their the agent's radars and get access to pre-market and off-market properties. And, you know, this year alone, most of the properties we've bought are off-market. So they're absolutely out there. They're out there all of the time. Some are better than others. So then it's that constant proactive searching, agent communication, inspections, prioritizing inspections. I know people have kids sport and they've got dance lessons and they've got, I don't know, archery, whatever they do as a hobby. Prioritize property inspections because sometimes if you don't make that first open and they get an offer, maybe you don't get a chance to see through that property. You never want to miss out on a property due to you just not being prepared and ready. That can be really devastating. And then once you find a property that you like and you think, yes, this is a good quality contender, this is a green light, we call them, you need to then start doing your due diligence straight away. Start off with the free stuff, like doing your own appraisal, like getting a contract review if your solicitor doesn't charge anything, um, doing your council checks and all those kind of things, location checks. That's the free and cheap stuff. And then if you then think you've got a chance, you might um, get a building inspection up front or make your office subject to a building inspection if that's appropriate. But do all of that straight away because, again, you can get a phone call. I got one just two hours ago to say, hey, this property that's going to auction on the 24th, it's selling tomorrow. So we, and, you know, we're ready to do that. That's totally fine. But you don't want to ever, again, miss out just because you can't get everything ready because you've procrastinated. So being super proactive with your due diligence and analysis that you're so that you're good to make an offer either if someone else does or if there's an opportunity for you to make an offer sooner and take other people by surprise as well. I feel like this is not all rocket science, but you'd be surprised how many people miss out on properties just because they dilly-dally a little bit either through lack of confidence or lack of knowledge or just not prioritising it. Yeah, I think there's this this phase, it becomes a little bit of a dance often um, between 
what the agent's saying, what's the media saying, what's my parents saying, what's my brother and sister's doing, what my friend's doing. And all of a sudden there's all this noise. Um, and what ends up happening is people start to lose focus on what they're trying to really achieve and they stop looking at things, I guess, pragmatically and they live more emotionally and um, absolutely, I think there's, you know, and then it's like, oh, I missed out on that property and I don't like what that agent said to me and, you know, I don't trust what they're saying and I think there's all this and ultimately I think you've got to cut through that noise a lot of the time and going, right, I'm going to treat this a little bit like a, a military operation here, right? <laughs> I'm going to be absolutely focusing on all the search that come on. I'm going to be ruling out things that don't suit. I'm going to consider things that are maybe. Can Is there things I could change the property that would make it? I'm not going to be just looking for this fully renovated property on the best street. I'm going to have to be a bit flexible. Um, I think also it's having that second alternative. If your t- budget is tight and it's only one a month you can find and that's, you know, even arguable, um, <laughs> I would say get start searching your next best alternative now because what, what I've seen, if markets are in upswings um, and prices are starting to rise, doesn't take much for that one to turn to zero and if that one is zero then you have to make think oh okay oh, i can't afford it would say it's melbourne i can't afford brunswick anymore i might have to consider a coburg right mm-hmm. and then they go oh i'm looking at coburg and like oh i don't know if i really want to be here what part of coburg do you want to be in it takes them two or three months to get get a cute clued up on coburg and then Coburg's run. Now they're like, okay, I might have to go, yeah. I don't know, look at North Coburg or I have to start looking at, you know, maybe go west or go further north. And then you have to get that other knowledge. And so when you've got a tight brief, I do think you should almost have two search locations, what you really prefer to do. And yeah, absolutely go hard if a property kicks all your boxes there. But if a property comes on six week boxes in that second location, you might have to go, well, am I better off to make that compromise and just go for that now? Um, rather than trying to make that compromise in three months and then having to pay more money for it anyway. Um, yeah. And I think that sometimes I've seen clients do that where they they said, oh, we really wanted to be in that pocket, but we actually went and looked at this property in this suburb and I didn't think we needed that space. But actually when we went and saw the property, that actually I didn't think we could get a place that space. And now we're willing to make that compromise on two more train stations or whatever it might be. But if they never went and looked at it, they would have all just been stuck focusing on that property that would have been, you know, may not have happened. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think it's always worthwhile, you know, touching on the point of market timing when we're talking about these things because we're talking about, you know, how how to buy a, a property faster and, you know, again, no rush. But my attitude and I know you and Pete and everyone in our little circle is the same, Chris, is really just buy when you're ready, and that is both financially and emotionally. And please do not try to time the market. And what we mean by that is the market goes up and the market goes down and everyone will have an opinion on what's going to happen in the future. There will be friends, family, media, there will be economists, there will be influential figures in the um, you know, property industries who you would think would know what's going to happen. And I promise you that nobody does. You know, we clearly saw um, a couple of years ago that even the Reserve Bank doesn't know what's going to happen. So if they don't know, how would you know? So, and this is another sort of, I guess, reason why I see people procrastinating so much is they're always waiting for something. Talking to people and they've been looking to buy for ages and they're saying, I'm just waiting for more stock. I'm just waiting for interest rates to come down. I'm just waiting for this or that. And the issue is that 
they sometimes wait indefinitely because then once maybe that happens, they decide on, well, there's something else now I need to wait for. So if you do decide to wait for whatever reason, which is totally fine, just give yourself some parameters around that so that you're not constantly making excuses because there will always be something in the market which will make people hesitate. Rates are too high or not enough stock or sentiments too low or just can't afford what I want. And in which case, you know, you can self-sabotage. So just if, yeah, try and um, take a step back and reflect on yourself because you might be the issue, not necessarily market in some cases. Absolutely. Uh, And this is, I guess, in that research phase, just making sure both parties are on this research phase. When we see that one does all the research and the other one's not really getting involved, then they're all of a sudden thrown into open homes and they're told they're making offers and they're going to lose all their savings. And um, that's really daunting if they haven't actually been on that journey with you. And so, uh, and they will self-sabotage. Oh, I don't like it. It's, you know, mm, mm-hmm. the, it's got a bad smell. It's blah, blah, blah. It's this, that. I, I actually want to be 100 metres closer to the train station or whatever it might be. And um Nat, I've seen that many times where it's actually should be happening. All the ingredients are there. It makes such great sense. Great properties are there. But then one party is self-sabotaging um, because they just haven't been taken on the journey and they're just like, well, I'm just holding my foot in the ground. I'm just going to keep saying no. Um, and so, yeah, get both parties on board. Um, even if you think they don't really you know, say, oh, I don't really want to be a part of this, then just giving them lots of updates and just constantly checking in with them how they're feeling with it and have they got any concerns or, you know, anything because that just might be as all they really want. They don't really want to know all the detail, but they just want to be included in a, in a small sense. I, I think that, um, yeah, don't just say, okay, if we don't want to be involved, I'll just do it all. I don't even think that works. I think you've got yeah. to have some type of inclusion. And the last thing I will mention with all of this is, Another way to help you buy your first home faster or any property faster really is to have a supportive team around you. So like you've said, Chris, your partner or your spouse, whoever you're buying with, um, your extended network who you might be tapping into for advice, make sure that their opinions are aligned, like their overall opinions are aligned with you. They're not overly pessimistic or whatever. Um, But then, you know, consider getting a great mortgage broker, figuring out, well, which legal rep am I going to use, um, building inspectors, buyer's agent, if you need that extra help, having that supportive team around you is also really important. Um, and I find that especially with first home buyers, a mortgage broker that listens to you and you don't feel patronized and, um, you know, that that's really another way to help then get you into the market quicker. And if you can't afford to or just don't want to use a buyer's agent, take my advice, do my course if you, you know, live in Victoria and, you know, apply the skills that I apply because you can do it yourself, but you've got to teach yourself how to do it and then, you know, implement it as well. And then you will have a quicker and smoother journey than if you don't do all of those things. Good episode, Amy, 45 minutes. (laughs) Hopefully everyone's still with us um, and have enjoyed that episode. And so thank you everyone for tuning in and Thanks for the chat, Amy. I look forward to the next one. See you, Chris. Bye. Talk soon. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that RASC could help you in 2024. As many of you know, RASC has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies, which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at RASC, which is the launch of our RASC Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high-growth strategy. The balance strategy focuses on passive income and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios, as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RASC community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. 
And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargent. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All Rask users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the Rask community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that. 
by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we're on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor, an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000 and hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad. If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.